Hey gang, I'm Nikki LaCroce, and you're listening to Who the Fuck? A show that explores the power of human connection and the profound resilience of the human spirit through compassionate conversations that help you better understand yourself so you can live with the sense of peace, purpose, and joy that you deserve. Each episode offers a safe space for guests to share intimate details of their personal journey and lessons learned along the way as we all seek to answer life's most important question. Who the fuck am I? Hi, I'm Nikki LaCroce, and you're listening to Who the Fuck. On today's episode, I'm sharing the mic with Bianca Thomas. And Bianca is a cognitive behavioral therapist and coach who helps ambitious, heart-driven people learn the scientific tools to transform and love themselves so they can embrace their own identity and find happiness. Bianca co-founded Evolve Ventures Technologies and is also host of the Evolve Ventures podcast, whose mission is to accelerate the mindset of listeners by leveraging the power of technology to break our limiting beliefs and improve brain health. So welcome to the show, Bianca. I'm really excited to be recording with you today. Thanks for having me. I've been very excited for this conversation. Yeah, I feel like our first conversation was really enlightening and just super easy and organic. And it's always nice when you find those conversations that just sort of click and drive themselves. So Mm -hmm. I feel like we can dive in and let the listeners hang along for the ride and hopefully, you know, get something really valuable out of it. Awesome. So I actually feel like this conversation is super relevant to where I am personally on my current journey of self-discovery, as well Mm -hmm. as professionally. And so as a fellow entrepreneur and podcaster, I am certain that you understand the internal (laughs) struggle about how to effectively create, manage, and grow your business and your life in the way that you want to. So can you share a bit about how Evolve Ventures came to be and how you decided to use the intersection of therapy and technology to drive your vision? Mm. So the podcast started when I met my business partner at a Muay Thai gym. Um, I was, I had a mentor and he knew I was, um, he knew I used to fight as a kid. So like I did karate as a kid and he and I actually used to like spar at the gym. Right. So he's like my height. So we're literally standing there with gloves, like in a, in a commercial gym, like beating the hell out of each other. And he's like, there's this Muay Thai gym near like where you live. You should go check it out. So I end up going and checking it out. That's where I meet my business partner. And at that point she had outranked everyone there and none of the guys would fight her. So (laughs) here I am walking in and she was just like super kind, super sweet, wanted to work with me because I was new. And I ended up being like the only person who could like take a punch yeah, give her and who her money <laughs> I mean she beat my ass let's not play games she beat the living hell out of me but I was the only one who could take it so we end up becoming like sparring partners and we start developing our friendship we're talking about like goals and dreams and personal development and I was getting my bachelor's degree in psychology and she was telling me how you know, one of her dreams was to start a podcast and she wants her voice to be heard and she really wants to make an impact on the world. And I was like, oh, two of my mentors, they're actually like my really good friends. They have a podcast. Why don't I connect you with them? So she ends up connecting with them, talking to them. They are like working together. She's now 
dating one of them, right? They're like practically going to get married soon. I'm like, I take all the credit for that. I just want you guys to know I did this. (laughs) You're welcome. Yeah, exactly. And so she ends up coming back to me and is like, B, you know, I want to do this with you. Like I'm starting this podcast. I would love to do it with you. And I'm like, the hell do you mean you want to do it with me? What value am I going to add to this podcast? Like, I don't know anything about this stuff. And she's like, no, 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 it's fine. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. I'm like, all right. So this is right when the pandemic happened. This is March of 2020. Okay. Yeah. Like really in the thick of it. Right in the beginning. So we developed the idea. It was originally called the Why Power Podcast. And then a year in, we're like, well, with that, with like where technology is going and everything is voice to text, we should see if like Siri and Alexa pick up on the name. So we say, hey, I don't want my device to go off. Play the Why Power Podcast. And it goes, playing the White Power Podcast. And I'm like, no, 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 no that's not what this podcast is. I'm like, no, 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 no. That's not what, no, no, thank you. That's actually a really good litmus test for a name, by the way, though. That's really smart. I like that. And also really good catch. Oh my God. So we end up going through an entire rebrand and we end up changing everything and we changed into Evolve Ventures. Now where the technology component came from, Amelia's in the tech industry. So she works for a pharmaceutical company in their IT division. She runs one of the teams over there. Mm-hmm. And she's always been just an absolute nerd when it comes to technology. And so I'm bringing like the psychology component. She brings the tech and our goal is to really create technology and create tools and systems to really help all of us grow. Cause every single one of us, I mean, we have the greatest piece of technology at our disposal, our brain. Exactly. And so if we can start working with our brain and really developing tools and systems and whatnot to help us, it's only going to progress evolution that much further. So that's the condensed version, but basically that's where the podcast and the business and like why mental health and tech. Well, I think it's such a good exploration too for where we are right now in society and Mm -hmm. that that convergence of those ideas feels really powerful specifically at this moment in time. You mentioned the pandemic and how disconnected we were in physical interactions because of that created more online community. And so while a lot of us probably could have argued that it felt like we were less connected in certain ways, I do feel like it brought us together in other ways that we wouldn't have expected. That was possible because of technology. If I, I must have said it a million times. If the pandemic had happened in the 90s like that, it would have been a very, very different societal impact. And yeah. 90s, 70s, 60s, whatever, any time where we didn't have the connectivity that we have digitally. Yeah. And so yeah. as somebody who spent 15 years in tech, and a lot of years in therapy, I do feel really strongly about that as a mission because I see the advantages and I see how often technology can really elevate our communities and our capabilities as individuals and organizations. And so to be able to not only say this is technology that can help, but this is the fundamental, you know, desire as human beings to be able to expand ourselves and our knowledge and help each other. To me, that's such a 
a valuable mission. I'm curious for you, especially because you are trained in psychology, you probably have a lot of sort of the pragmatic and technical things in your brain that it's just, this is, you know, these are the way that the human brain works. This is how people typically respond to things. And so the idea of self-limiting beliefs, I feel hmm. is fairly commonly known to people, but at the same point in time, I think there's a lot of nuance to that, that maybe isn't as spoken about, isn't as, isn't spoken about as widely, where, you know, <laughs> We, I'm like, I can't get the sentence out, but you know, <laughs> so you're good. You're doing great. <laughs> so we have these self-limiting beliefs and we know, I think internally a lot of the time that they're there, mm. but we also spend a lot of time trying not to expose those. And there's sort of this tension between those two things where we feel something or we know something internally and we're not really showcasing that to the world because we have this fear of judgment or retribution or anything that might happen if we are too vulnerable. And mm -hmm. I was reading something earlier about how, you know, what is it that makes us sort of fall into this trap of limiting ourselves? And was that something that we learned as a child? Was that something that we cultivated over time. So I'm curious for you personally, if you step aside from your technical education, how would you say your beliefs were cultivated while you were growing up? And at what point did you start to question that and, and veer down this path of, of self-discovery that would allow you to get to a place where you're challenging those beliefs? Yeah. So I was a kid who I love my family, but like, I did not fit. I really struggled as a kid. Like I didn't feel like I belonged. I didn't feel like my family cared about me. I didn't fit in with the culture. So like I grew up in a very old school, traditional Middle Eastern Catholic family who boys are supposed to be one way and girls are supposed to be another. And the girls are supposed to look like this and do this and be like this and whatever. And I like, I fought against it like a plague, like from two years old, as soon as I was like cognitively aware enough, my parents were like, you were a pain in the ass. Like you fought us on everything. And so because of that, and because of that distance and because of really feeling like I didn't belong I started developing all of those thoughts and feelings and limiting beliefs about myself. And I was really badly bullied when I was in like elementary school, middle school, even high school. I was like the weird kid who was a major people pleaser and extremely low self-worth. So like you could say you liked dogs, right? And I'd be like, yeah, me too. And if the next second you said, no, actually, I don't like them, I would literally have just followed along with whatever you said just to get you to like me. Mm -hmm. I was like, no one's going to like me on my own. No one cares about me. So I'm going to chameleon myself into whatever it is that you need me to be so that I'll be loved. And I, I kind of had to do that at home too. So I'm going through these patterns. I don't have any real friendships. I'm like like the weird kid at school. And when I turned 16, I'm like, no one is going to love me. No one cares. 
how can I get someone to care about me? Like, oh, let's find a relationship. So I end up meeting this guy. Six days after we meet, he tells me he loves me. I spent two days with him out of those six days. And then I look back now and I'm like, oh, my red flag. But back then I was like, oh my God, someone loves me. Like what? Someone cares. And so I don't notice it. And a couple months go by and I'm seeing all these red flags, these like really beaming red flags. And I'm like, no, 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 it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Whatever. And the relationship ends up turning abusive, physically, uh, sexually abused, emotionally, mentally, psychologically. I almost left home and moved to Colorado with him. And I was 16. So like I almost dropped out of school wow. and it was horrible, like really horrible. And at 20, I was finally able to leave. So it, I was with him for four years. Wow. And those are like really formative, emotional years. Yeah. I think about my relationships in high school and in college. And I also very similarly, like I, I really lacked that self-worth. And yeah. the thing is, is I can't really tell you why in the sense of, you know, I was supported in my day-to-day -day life by my family. I also mm. felt sort of that black sheepness that you described. So for me, it was like, I would say I knew I was gay since I was nine, but I like didn't outwardly express that. I was ostracized in seventh grade after being bullied in elementary school, but in like seventh grade, lost all my friends because they thought I was a lesbian. So then that closeted me even more. And then yeah. having to go through sort of this evolution that in retrospect, and I've been talking about this in therapy recently, it's like these versions of myself just felt so inauthentic to who I actually am. I was craving this acceptance. And to me, that, you know, that acceptance was something that I wasn't going to find from somebody else. And I think when you're in a position where somebody has as you described, I mean, especially when you're 16, like I was in an abusive relationship for like 12 years from 23 to 35. And I, I think about how naive I was at 23 and 25 and 27, because until I started learning about what I was experiencing, I didn't understand what that was. And it took me getting to a place to really look myself in the eye and say, is this what you want? And mm. how are you going to pull yourself out of this? So I'm kind of curious, do you feel like you got to a place in those four years where you were strategizing how to get out? Did you feel like you knew you wanted to leave or were you still in a place of uh, low self-esteem where you felt like that was what it was going to amount to? I didn't feel like I could leave because he would threaten me like mm -hmm. pretty severely if I would leave. You know, so I, I couldn't escape. I really felt like I couldn't escape. And it took me going on a trip to Florida with my, um, with cousins of mine and him cheating on me for the relationship actually to end up ending. So I get back, he like tells me all of these things and I'm like, I'm, I'm done. Do to do to me what you want. But like, I'm not doing this. And he didn't end up doing anything, thankfully. But I got out of that relationship and I was like, I don't know who I am. I am more broken than ever. And it was the first time I was actually able to acknowledge, like, I think I'm gay too. Because like, I always had weird relationships with girls growing up. Like, I never felt like I could connect. I always felt like 
I couldn't be friends with women or girls at that point, but I was just so uncomfortable. And it's like, I get out of that relationship and it just started making sense. I'm like, is this why I've been having these weird feelings all this time? So between the ages of like 20 and 23, I go through my hoe phase is what I call it. I was dating everyone and anyone, guys and girls, just trying to like find myself. Like, who am I? What do I want? Like, what is my place in the world? And it was just more terrible things one after another, right? I was still deeply codependent. I was still so deeply insecure and my self-worth was just plummeted even worse. And it was actually during that period that I met my mentor, Kevin, and his business partner, Alan, who now are like my greatest friends and mentors. And they're the ones that I like connected Amelia with, my business partner. In all honesty, it wasn't until I met them around like, I think it was 24, like 23, 24, somewhere around that time period where I started changing. Like I always knew, I'm like, I like I know I'm not supposed to be doing this. I know there's supposed to be something more for me because I always loved having like deep conversations with people, but no one around me ever wanted to. And I was the weird girl because I wanted those conversations and no one else did. I meet them and it's like, oh, this is what I've been looking for. Like this, this is the thing that I've been looking for. And so I'm I'm working with them. Amelia and I are growing our business. We're expanding and we have like a team and I have coaching clients and now I'm getting my masters and everything seems to be going great but I still I still didn't work on those parts of me that got me in all those negative situations in the first place. Can I interject there because I think that's Please. a super important point to make. It's sort of the idea that if we don't learn from history we're doomed to repeat it <laughs> on such a deeply personal level because it's not as overt as let's say national history where this specific event occurred and then people did this we don't want to do that anymore let's stop doing that we're not going to repeat these cycles so when you are trying to unpack your own shit, for lack of better term, when you're faced with the reality of your life and the things that you want to be different, you have to go real deep and start peeling back the layers of yourself. And that is a super uncomfortable situation to be in. And I really think about when I started to go to therapy, because I'm the friend that's like, everybody should be in therapy. Now, five years ago, six years ago, I wouldn't have said it. I wouldn't have known to think that. And no. So much has changed because what I realize is that there were all of these subdued feelings that I had and awarenesses of myself that I refused to bring to the surface because I was mm. so afraid of what I would or what everyone else would think of me. What would my therapist think of me? What would people who I'm friends with or family think if I express these things? Like you, I felt like the weird person. I'm like, I'm the weird kid. Like, I don't know. It's not that I didn't have friends or people around me. It was just a matter of I didn't feel like I belonged. And so I lacked this ability to accept myself, which made me feel mm. like other people couldn't accept me. And so when you sit down and you're doing that work, whether it's by yourself 
and or with a therapist, you really have to let that go because my biggest limitation when I first sat down in therapy was that fear of judgment. What happens once I say it out loud? What happens once I expose that reality to the world, whether that's just to myself, to the people around me, to my therapist, whoever, now it's no longer internalized and that shame feels Mm. a lot bigger in the near term. But once you actually get it out, you can start to examine it and decide what it really means and start to establish why that might be that you believe these things about yourself or why it's been complicated to express those things. So I'm kind of curious if you also had that uh, almost like kind of jolt of self-awareness in Mm. that growth stage of your own when you were saying, you know, I wanted these deep connections and I thought, you know, it was me. I'm weird. People don't want to have these conversations. No, people do want to have those conversations. You just need to find those people. And to find those people, you need to become a version of yourself that's comfortable with who you are to be able to expose that to those people who are going to magnetize to you. I was more self-aware than I had ever been, but I I still had so much work to do. I still had so far to go and it took me ending up in another toxic relationship this time with, you know, a woman at that point and me having to leave home because my parents found out and me having to move in with her, not because like the lesbian stereotype of like, oh my God, were you hauling? It's like, no, I, I had to, I had nowhere to go because I had never been on my own. And she's like, you can come stay here until you find a place. And I just never ended up leaving. This was three years ago. Okay. Yeah. So I end up in that relationship and I lost myself completely. Amelia wanted nothing to do with me. Kevin and Alan wanted nothing to do with me. I almost lost my business. I almost lost my friends. We got a dog together that she ended up like taking and wouldn't let me see anymore. And it ended horribly. And honestly, it was that wake up call that was like, you help other people do this. And I know you've done a piece of it, but you need to do the real work now. I totally get that. Yeah. I had spent years doing personal development. I knew that I had patterns. I knew all of these things. But I just wasn't in a place where I think I was really ready to like face to the point that you made what those meant. It's daunting. It's very daunting. In order to be able to do anything, there's three beliefs that you have to have, right? Number one, you have to have a belief that this thing in the entire realm of possibility of the world, this thing is possible. So like- I'm not going to grow six inches overnight, right? It, that's just impossible. In the realm of possibility, that's not possible. Me spotting a, a Jeep, that's possible, right? I live in mass. There's Jeeps everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> that's possible. The second thing you have to believe is that it's going to be possible for you, that you specifically, this thing that you want is possible for you. And the third one is that it's going to be worth it that the effort that you put into getting this thing, doing this thing, becoming this thing is going to be worth it. And the outcome will be worth it. 
most people believe it's possible in the realm of possibilities for other people, for whomever, but not for them. So number two and number three is usually where people get tripped up. That's where I was. I did not believe I could really change. I did not believe that anyone could love me or that I was worthy of being loved because I never was. Or at least I didn't feel like it because I had... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to say, how come you felt like you couldn't change? Did you feel stuck in those patterns? Honestly, I didn't even realize what the patterns were. Again, I'm... It's like, it's the therapist dilemma, right? Like we tell all of our clients everything to do, but how many of them actually do it themselves? Well, I had done a ton of work on myself, but I didn't do the real, real work, which was finally being on my own and not relying on anybody to take care of me. Because when I met Kevin, Alan, and Amelia, I was still living at home and my parents did everything. I had no bills except for a car payment. And it's because I told my dad I wanted to pay the car payment. Like he would have continued paying it. So I had never been autonomous. I had never been on my own. So I had no self-belief that I could do anything. And I had no sense of self-efficacy that like I was capable of things. Yeah. So the last year and a half have been that point in my life where like, I really finally did the work that I had been running away from for so long. And it is the reason why I am the woman that I am today. It's why I'm able to do the things that I do. And it's why I really now believe that I can help people. Not because I'm like special, not because there's like anything miraculous or extraordinary about me, but it's just because I've been through it. Mm-hmm. I know. Like when my clients sit there in front of me and they're like, I have no belief in myself. Like I hate myself. I don't know who I am. I remember what it was like for me being at that point. And it's not just like empathy of like, oh, I get it. I understand how that must feel. It's like, no, no, no. I've been there. I have been there in those moments where you're like staring at yourself in the mirror and you're just like, I hate you. There is nothing good about you. And just bawling your eyes out or like laying in bed at night, just thinking I am utterly worthless. So can I ask a question about that feeling in particular? Because, you know, right before my wife and I got together, I had this therapy session where one of those core beliefs about myself came out, which was... Mm in feeling needed, I felt wanted. And so I was picking partners. Partners is a very loose term when somebody's not really a partner. I was picking people to be in relationships with. I was picking codependents. And and I was the empathetic one. I was the one that would do anything for anyone. And I always saw codependency as somebody taking. Somebody who's codependent takes. Then on the other side of things, I realized I'm codependent. I've historically been codependent in a way where I give too much and Mm. I don't set boundaries and not setting those boundaries made me an easy target for people who wanted to take advantage of somebody's emotional availability. And it made me too loyal. I mean, I was in a psychologically abusive relationship for over a decade with my ex and that ended in a final act of physical abuse that was really should have been scary, but 
I had this conversation with my therapist the last two weeks, which was, I was so sick of being gaslit that like, I wasn't even afraid at that point. I just wanted to not be lied to anymore. And when you make the comment about not liking yourself, not knowing yourself, Mm -hmm. those are two really important things that until I was an adult, until I consciously was doing that work, I didn't understand how mission critical it was to my own ability to function effectively. And I don't just mean your day-to-day life. I mean, emotionally, I think there's a lot of room for improvement for emotional efficacy. We are so reactive and we do, I, I feel cater our beliefs to what we believe other people want from us. And if we do take that moment to step back and ask ourselves, you know, where's my comfort zone? What makes me feel safe? What do I want? What do I need? What don't I want? What don't I like? You know, mm-hmm. it becomes so instrumental for how you live your life when you start asking those questions that once you get to that point, I don't know if you feel this way as well, but like you can't go back now because now you now the light's on and you're like, oh, I'm not doing that again. Did you find yeah. that like you sort of hit a point and you're like, oh, oh, oh. No. Oh, shit. We're going to reboot. We're going to rethink how we do things. And you you get this strength within yourself once you start to define who it is that you are and who you personally want to be, not just what am I meeting the expectations of everybody else, but am I meeting my own expectations? In fact, what the fuck are my own expectations? Then I can decide if I'm even meeting them. No. It would be too easy to say that you get to that point and you never go back, though. I think it's too easy to have this belief that like, there's going to be this happily ever after. And I'm just going to learn all of these things. And I'm never going to go through this shit again. No, I teach this stuff. And I still find myself having those days or those patterns or those situations come up that trigger all of those old feelings. I'll give you a perfect example. I was just recently talking to someone, right? Met on Hinge. We're talking. She's like the closest thing to what I want in a partner. But she reminded me of another ex that I had that was kind of avoidant, right? Not super vulnerable, like was more than anyone I had ever talked to, but still not to the level that I needed. And there was that part of me that kept coming up. That's like, it's okay. Someone actually is paying attention to you. No, no, no. This is good. You'll figure it out. Just keep fighting for them. To your point, I'm the anxious attachment type where like, I will give you my left arm if you tell me you love me. Like, that's how I used to be. It was so bad. And I'm like going through it again. And I'm like, I teach this shit. Literally, my entire business is doing this. Like, what the fuck? Why do I keep end up in these scenarios? And I I was able to recognize it. And I utilized my friends and my coaches. And I was like, you guys, I'm falling in this pattern again. I need help. Yeah, like, I love that, by the way. I really appreciate you sharing that radical self-awareness because you're right. The way I phrased it, I feel implied that you move on from it and that's that. And No, I know I, that's not what you meant. Right. I know based on how you responded. <laughs> <laughs> because, because I agree with you completely. I mean, it's forever a journey, right? But I do mm-hmm. think that what you highlighted is really important because I experienced this quite a bit myself dealing with symptoms of PTSD, dealing with anxious attachment, going through the motions of all of the processing of trauma, in addition to the learning that you're doing and unlearning, because that's part of the process, you 
are confronted with these moments where you're given the choice, right? Are you going to take this path that you know that's familiar or are you going to take that path? And I remember my therapist saying to me once early on in our sessions that, you know, that one's easier to go down if you think about it, right? You're going through a trail in the woods and this is the trail you've gone down. So it's worn down. There's not as much brush. You can get through it more easily, but you have to make the choice if that, you know, what's at the end of that path. So do do you want to end up where that path ends or do you want to go down this path and see what's there? And I do feel like when we are pushed to reestablish how we respond to things that are familiar to us, then we are given the opportunity to even see our growth and see our resilience in those moments. And I love that you recognized it. You gave yourself the moment of pause and you also you solicited your community as a Mm. way to help support you and give you a sense of the word I don't want to use as much as validation because it's not like I want somebody to be like, you're right, good job, you know, but it's you want to kind of gut check yourself and be like, "Um, this is what I'm experiencing and I kind of get the feeling (laughs) that I could easily go down this path. And so the reason I'm saying this is because I really don't want to on a conscious level. I know that I shouldn't. So like back me up on this unless you feel like maybe I'm overthinking it, right? It's like I don't want to end up in a shit position again, period. So guide me or listen in a way that gives me (laughs) the ability to see what I need to see with the clarity I need to see it. I feel like we're not the only people that go through this like trial and tribulation because that is one of the most important factors in finding people that you vibe with is that your, uh, your connection and your attachment styles are compatible. And it's not to say people with uh, different styles can't bond or mesh well, but you have to be aware of it and how to navigate that if you're going to have personalities that sort of inherently conflict so mm. that you can be more effective in your relationships in that way. That was so much, so many words for me, but all of that to say, <laughs> I concur. <laughs> Ditto. Yeah. I mean, when you're used to fighting for your worthiness and fighting to be loved, you become attracted to the people who make you have to do that again. Oh, I and love that statement. That was what every every single one of my partners, except the very first one and the very last one, had an avoidant attachment where I had to chase them. The first one and the last one were extremely anxious, and it's like I couldn't leave their side or like mayhem would ensue. So it was like, I grew up in a family where I constantly felt like I had to fight to be loved. I had to change everything about myself to be loved. So the first person I end up dating is someone who is like wicked clingy and extremely abusive. And I'm like, oh, this is love. Oh my God, someone wants me. And then everyone apart from that ends up being avoidant where I'm chasing again. And then the last one is, again, extremely anxious avoidant. I mean, uh, insecure but like the tough persona, but you can tell like deep down there, extremely insecure. And I saw it behind the scenes, but no one else did. And everyone in my life was like, what the hell are you doing? They were like, appearance wise, personality wise, everything. You guys are so wrong for each other. 
And I'm like, no, 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 you don't get it. You don't get it. Cause I was just so used to like, I'm so used to shit that it's like, this is what I know. This is what's familiar to me and human beings. We're certainty driven. That's such a good point too, Bianca, because I remember a conversation that I had where it was just because it's familiar doesn't mean it's right because familiarity breeds comfort. So for us, yeah. we're like, this is, we know this, we, even yeah. if we know the outcome shit, we know the outcome. So we're sort of almost manifesting that within our own lives because we're too insecure to seek something that would be genuinely more comfortable, generally more acceptable to us because if we haven't experienced it, how can we know? The pain you know is better than the pain that you don't. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, the ambiguity that comes with being alone and trying to find that connection is overwhelming sometimes. And I certainly didn't expect to meet my person so swiftly after exiting the toxic relationship that I was in. And no. at the same point in time, because it was so toxic and I had been evolving so much over the course of that relationship before I exited it, I was able to really, really gut check myself the whole time I was going through like the onboarding process with my now wife. The onboarding like... process. <laughs> it's awesome. I feel like as a fellow <laughs> tech person, like you're now integrated. It's like, it makes sense, right? <laughs> <laughs> the entire standard operating procedure yes. just laid out. It's like <laughs> all the ones and zeros are checked off and shit. Hilarious. Yes. This is my list of subtasks we must complete. Um, yeah, no, I, uh, <laughs> I, and I feel like we, we, sometimes we forget to ask ourselves those questions at the beginning that, you know, what are the red flags we should look for? What are the things that are going to help me not make those same mistakes? So you were saying, you know, growing up, you, you were really fighting for that love and that is how it ended up showing in your relationships as well. So do you feel like you reached a point where you were able to step back and see what that was after leaving the last relationship you mentioned where you, you did pull your community in to help you really, it sounds like get the strength that you needed to be able to prioritize yourself. For lack of a better phrase, they laid it on me. <laughs> Good friends. And I, I was so grateful for it. They're all coaches. So like they, they know. And I've built the type of relationship with them where I, they know I just want the truth. Don't sugarcoat it. Don't bullshit it. Tell me like it is. And then let's figure out what to do. So they were like, B, you just made the greatest mistake of your life. I really need you to know that. And you're out of it now. But if you ever do that again, none of us are ever going to be in your life. And I was just like, oh, Jesus fucking Christ. And I was so grateful for it. I was so grateful for it because they're the three people who out of anyone in my life, they're the only ones that ever really loved me unconditionally. They're the ones who showed me what it was like to be loved. I love that. And I think that something else that you said that really stands out to me in that too, is that you start to realize how much you're compromising the people you and relationships you do care about for somebody who really doesn't care about you. And yes it became really evident to me when I exited the relationship. I'd gotten back East to see my family and less than a month or a little over a month later, my mom passed away unexpectedly. And uh. a big chunk of what I've been working through is how I feel I didn't prioritize time with my family 
when I should have instead of dedicating all this energy to somebody who just sucked the life from me. And the thing that really stands out to me too is that, like you said, I, I would have done anything. I did, in fact, do many, many things to try to protect this person, to keep them safe from themselves ultimately is what I learned. But at the end, when I'm being pinned to the ground by my neck to get a phone back after I'm being gaslit, like I saw this look in my ex's face that was like, <laughs> I don't care. And I come back to that statement that I made earlier about I wasn't afraid, which theoretically I should have been. Like I genuinely could have been killed. And I say it very objectively and a little bit disconnected from it for my own sanity at the moment. But it's like to realize that somebody that I thought I loved, which in retrospect, I realized this was just a lot of psychological abuse. Somebody I thought I loved who I did a lot to protect, keep safe, keep happy as much as I could probably could have left me for dead. It's mm -hmm. a really sickening feeling to realize that I had prioritized that person over my parents, over my sister, over my niece and nephew, over my friends. And it's not that I didn't still connect with them because that's who I am as a person, but the visits were fewer and further between. This person didn't want to go places, so I wouldn't go. I limited so much of my life because my belief in myself was so limited. Yeah. And what I realized was in doing that, I, I compromised moments and memories that I would give anything to have now. So that feeling of, thank God I'm out. And these are the people that really are the ones who are there through thick and thin. It resonates so much with me. And I feel like it must resonate a lot with listeners too, because we're not the only people that go through this. Yeah. Seeing the damage that is done after getting out of a situation like that, it it can either inspire you to change and doesn't mean change happens right away, right? But inspire you to do the work or it can completely defeat you and just end you. And if it were not for the people in my life, it would have ended me. I completely agree with that statement. I think human connection, and this is why I do the podcast, people like yourself and myself who have been through shit, we've earned our credibility from the trauma that's happened in our lives. It's like, I'm not speaking to it for pity or even empathy, honestly. It's so other people can hear and have maybe a moment of clarity where it feels like they have what they need to move forward in a way that's better for them, that mm -hmm. they can get help or they can talk about things that maybe they didn't think that they could talk about. Because along with limiting beliefs, there's also that sense of self that you talked about and leaving those toxic relationships and being forced to discover who am I. You were put in a position, like you said, where you either do it or you don't. And my ex was somebody who didn't, she had been through a lot, allegedly, I'm sure some of it was true. And I just saw somebody's demise in front of my face. And in trying to help her through her trauma, I was learning how I would ultimately need to heal through my trauma. Mm -hmm. And to be able to do that and look back at my life since all of these things have happened, 
I just think, where would I be if I hadn't challenged myself? Where would I be if I kept thinking this is all I'm capable of? This is what I've resigned to. This is what I deserve. And to be able to showcase that in such a raw and vulnerable way, Bianca, I think is so not only admirable, but it's also really just important on such a human level because you're showing up for yourself. And by showing up for yourself, you're giving that energy to other people too. 100%. I'm not like grateful that I went through the things that I did, but I'm grateful for the lessons that I took from them and what I did as a result of going through them because it's through having gone through the things that I went through that I am now able to help the people that I work with and my clients and my team and through our business. The majority of my clients are trauma. Like they have trauma, PTSD, severe depression because of PTSD. I love working with trauma survivors because you get to see in its rawest form what going through things like what it does to a person how it completely transforms everything about them and I don't know what it's like to go through some of the traumas that my clients have been through I mean I have this one client she has non-stop had something happen to her from the time she was two she has not had like a month of her life where something didn't happen to her working with her and really helping her to be able to change the beliefs that she has and the self-image and all of that you get to see in its rawest form like where the beliefs that we build about ourselves come from and what keeps them there and then how do you actually change them and what do you do and what is that process like and I know I wouldn't be able to do that if I didn't go through my own trauma because I wouldn't understand it. You can conceptually understand it. And I'm not saying that you have to have gone through trauma to be able to work with people, but I know that my experiences and what I did as a result, they make me the therapist that I am. They make me the coach and the leader and the person that I am. And I'm very much a person who... You know the phrase, everything happens for a reason? I feel like we probably have similar feelings on this. Yes, please. I hate that phrase with a fucking passion. Like a fucking passion. Because you can't tell me that that client that I just mentioned went through all of that for a reason. That God or the universe or whomever made her go through all of that because there's some magical ending that's going to come from it. Like, no. Because some people don't get the magical ending. So then what was the fucking point? Most people don't. Most people don't. Do I believe some things happen for a reason? Yeah. I don't know why I met my business partner. I really don't. The way that I met Kevin, Alan, and then her and how everything transpired, that I agree happened for some reason. But the majority of things don't. And what I believe in so emphatically and what the research shows and this is exactly what cbt cognitive behavioral therapy the type of therapy that i'm specialized in what it really talks about is the things that happen to you no we don't have control over them 
We can't control the majority of what happens, but we get to control what it means. We get to control what it means about us and what we do about it. So no, not everything happens for a reason, but you get to decide the reason. Yeah. And I really took everything that happened to me and I said, number one, I will never let myself go through this again. And if I can help it, I will never let anyone else go through this again. I feel the exact and, same way. Yeah. And I'm not the type of person that's like, if I change one life, it's like, no, I don't want to just change one. I want to help as many people as I can because there's more than just one person going through this shit. For and sure. I have 50 of them who are clients of mine that I work with every day. They're all going through it. And my team and everyone else that I encounter, right? We all have our demons. We all have our traumas, big or small, that really shape how we see ourselves as people and how we engage in the world and the futures that we will end up living. And that's exactly what the mission of Evolve is. It's to really help people break those cycles and break those patterns and really learn that there is so much more to you than what's happened to you. And there is a way to get through it. And here's the technology, our brain, the psychology, all of these things. Here's how. Yeah. I, Bianca, I just appreciate your insight and your experience so much. It's, as I said, super relatable for me in so many mm -hmm. ways. And then on top of that, I love how you said we don't get to choose what happens to us, but we get to choose what it means and what it means for us. And typically, I think when people say that statement, they say we don't get to choose what happens to us, but we can choose how we respond. And I don't really love that as much as I like what you said, which it might seem like a small difference, but how you respond to me indicates what is your reaction to it. Mm. What it means to you is how have you processed it and leveraged that to help you in your own personal evolution. And yeah. I love that your company and your podcast use the word evolve in their names because this is something I've talked about on other episodes where it's sort of like emotional Darwinism. Adapt or die, right? Like we have to give ourselves some freedom and the term that I used to roll my eyes at but actually accept now is grace that mm. we are human and we don't always get it right. And if we continue to punish ourselves for the decisions that we made in the past, then we're never going to allow ourselves to evolve. We're going to stay stuck. We're going to allow those beliefs about the mistakes we made and who we were when we made those mistakes to continue to dictate the rest of our lives when you have the opportunity to change that. And yeah. honestly, nothing bothers me more than somebody who stays stuck in their victimhood. And I don't mean that in a way where, like I would say technically I'm a victim of narcissistic and domestic abuse. That said, I don't want to identify as a victim. I don't want that to be my identity. And I think it's important, at least for me, to make that distinction because it gives me the ability to acknowledge what happened without feeling like that now is tied to who I will become in the future. Being a victim is, this is going to sound messed up, but you can't choose whether or not you're victimized. You can choose whether or not you become a victim. 
you were victimized. I was victimized, but I said, there's no fucking way in hell I'm being a victim because I played that role. I played that game. Feel bad for me. Love me. Oh my God. All these terrible things happened to me. Please love me. Love me. And it did nothing. It kept me in the same cycles over and over again. And I'm sure you've been there too. And it's, it's not until you break that and say, I was victimized, but no one can make me a victim aside from me. Yeah. I'm a survivor. Those are two very different identities that you hold. And totally. we shift our identity through action. And it's in the things that we do and the meanings that we make about the things that we go through and the emotions that we therefore feel as a result. And that's how you shift from being a victim to a survivor. It's not the things that happen to you. It's what I said. It's what you make it mean about you and what you do about it, therefore. Totally. And you had made a statement earlier, too, about how you wouldn't say that you're grateful that these things happened. And I always say it. I'm like, I wouldn't choose the path that I went down to get Hell to no. where I am today if there was a less traumatic way to get here. That said... I don't think I would be who I am if I hadn't gone through that because I wouldn't have needed to become who I am. And I wouldn't have been forced to acknowledge that that person, that version of myself isn't who I am. It's just not. I wasn't meant to be with somebody who didn't have ambition. I wasn't meant to be with somebody who doesn't have the like joie de vie that I have, you know, somebody who thought I talked too much, which I definitely do. But like, I can't be with a partner who thinks that otherwise, they'll hate me. <laughs> evidently, <laughs> I do feel like there's this part of us that you have to go through, whether it's a big T or a little T trauma type thing, you have to be forced to confront yourself to be able to acknowledge what those beliefs are that are holding you back. Mm -hmm. Ask yourself, why do I think this? Ask yourself, Am I wrong? Could I be wrong? And is this belief serving me at all? Does this give me anything other than shame, anxiety, depression, whatever yeah. the emotion might be? And if we can't find justification for those beliefs, then why are we holding on to them? We do find justification for them. Cognitive biases, we will, if... If I hold the belief that the sky is green, I will look for every piece of evidence to show me that that's true because our brains are optimized for prediction and control. So from a cognitive biasy standpoint, I had thousands of pieces of evidence that I wasn't good enough, but it didn't mean that I was interpreting the data correctly. So what you're talking about in psychology and CBT, it's called number one guided discovery. So those questions, right? Like, what about my past? What did I go through? What were the lessons? What were all of these things? And then cognitive restructuring, which is asking yourself those really deep questions and working through them and processing them and changing them because we will find evidence to support what we think. It's called confirmation bias. We will find whatever the hell we look for. The challenge is that we find what we're looking for. So if your belief is that you're worthless, you're bad, you're this, you're that, you will always find evidence to support it. So you need to change what you're looking for by asking a new question. That's so perfect. I'm glad you challenged me on that because it also makes me think about why I stayed in the relationship that I was in 
because yeah. I had it in my head that the way my ex and I met was a, like a very nice meet cute at an Adele concert before anybody knew who Adele was. And I thought like I wanted to be with somebody and we ended up just meeting in person and falling for each other or whatever. And it was like, I was so young. I was so impressionable. And I just, I wanted to be with somebody. I loved love. I always loved love. And much like you, I had this very strong desire to be loved. And what I looked for was I wanted to be with somebody who would love me the way that I love them. But that was the statement. There was no, what does it mean for me to be loved the way I want to be loved? What mm -hmm. are the things that I want? What are the things that I need? What are my deal breakers? It was a general thought around if I can find somebody and I see something in them and they see something in me, then it can work. And I spent a lot of time convincing myself to be in the relationship that I stayed in before I was sort of traumatized into staying into it. And so it's yeah. a weird transition period where I was like, I kind of know this person's not right for me, but I don't trust myself enough to leave. And then at that point now I'm trauma bonded and I can't leave. I mean, I can't leave, you know? And so it's something that is, is really interesting to look back on too and reflect in those moments, you know, why did we allow ourselves to confirm that, you know, sort of predefined outcome that we were driving towards? What made us go down that path? Or how come we didn't stop ourselves sooner? And so I really love how you brought up ask yourself a different question because asking myself this question, who the fuck am I, was like the door that opened the possibility into becoming who I am and taking all of those lessons and really creating something tangible for myself in my life that reflected that personal growth. And I feel like through your business and your podcast, you've done the same. Yeah. Oprah Winfrey co-authored a book with someone called what happened, what happened to you, to you? dr bruce perry i listened to it it's amazing i was going to mention it too i'm so glad you did <laughs> most people ask the question what's wrong with me and you will always find an answer nobody asks what happened and it was when i finally started asking what happened to me why did i become like this a lot of the shames started to dissipate because I really started seeing the patterns that got me to where I was. And then I could work through them. And I am not perfect by any means. I am so flawed and I am so imperfect. And I still have so much room for growth and so far to go. But it was asking those questions that allowed me to get to the point where I am now, where I can still grow and I can, you know, really see a lot of those toxic patterns in me. Cause I used to be toxic as hell. I was so codependent. Like I, you could not, not talk to me for like an hour. I'm like, what's going on? What are you doing? Why don't you love me anymore? And I was like, dude, what the fuck? And it's like, when you can really ask, like, what happened? How did I get there? That shame starts to dissipate and you can really start answering the question. So the question you ask matters. And I think that's where if I were to give your, you know, your audience 
any piece of feedback, like just how do you get started? Start asking yourself that question. How did I get here? What happened to me? What did I go through in my life that made me make the decisions that I made? It's not to justify it. It's not to say like, oh, well, it's okay because, you know, these bad things happen. So I'm justified. It's not to say that at all, but it's to really look at it as objectively as you can. There's no such thing as 100% objectivity, right? It's There's a book that recently came out that basically debunked that whole theory. It's called How Emotions Are Made. Oh, perfect. You would probably really like oh, it. I'm going to check it out now. <laughs> It's by Lisa Feldman Barrett. She's been on so many podcasts. I was like fangirling her for like six months. I just watched all of her content. But looking at your life as if someone else were looking and saying, you know, what did you go through that made you do that? What did you go through that made you do that? Again, not to justify, not to validate, not to be like, well, it's okay. It's just to look at it so that you can now do something about it and so that you can work on healing it and forgiving yourself. Yeah, that's a huge part of it too. Forgiving myself for staying so long is an ongoing journey because you don't have the knowledge while you're going through it that you ultimately end up cultivating after the fact as a mechanism mm -hmm. to heal a lot of the time. So I really love that that's how you rounded things out too, because that was going to be one of my questions to you, which is, you know, how do you get started? And I feel like that's such an important part of just being in the headspace and leading from a place where you're not judging yourself, which can be very, very difficult because there's so much shame associated with things that we do and embarrassment and we crave that sense of belonging. So what does it mean for me to be honest with myself and what's the potential outcome of that? you have to sort of give yourself the space to say, I might not like what I'm going to find, but I need to be able to approach it. Because if I just avoid it, it's still there. And it's causing this anxiety or stress in our bodies that makes mm. it harder to be in touch with ourselves or with other people, because now you're also putting walls up. So you know, this has just been such an enlightening conversation. This is something that people will gain a lot of value from. And for me personally, I can say that I have from our first conversation in this one as well, Bianca, you've just been a total light, just your expertise, as well as your emotional availability and vulnerability is really powerful and so easy to connect with. So if you guys want to hear more from Bianca, definitely check out Evolve Ventures podcast where Bianca and her co-host share insightful and introspective conversations like this about how we can overcome our struggles and find ways to empower ourselves through a combination of therapy and technology. And mm -hmm. Bianca, can you tell people where they might be able to find you on social? First off, thank you for that compliment. Honestly, that of course that was really sweet. So thank you. I really appreciate it. I Instagram is the best place to find me. Evolve with Bianca. I'm on there pretty actively. And then just Evolve Ventures. We have a private Facebook group. Our YouTube is up and running. Awesome. And Bianca, thank you again. You're a true delight and I just, I really appreciate your story of personal growth and, and perseverance. I know how hard some of those moments can be and it feels really powerful to be able to share the space with you and, and the conversation with you. I 
am very glad that your clients have you in their lives because this is the type of support and emotional connection that you need to have with people to be able to trust them and to feel like you can really get to that place, that root of yourself. So congratulations <laughs> for getting to where you've gotten and for being able to really see the light at the end of the tunnel when I'm sure sometimes it didn't feel like it was there. Thank you. Honestly, thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Who the Fuck. And if you like what you hear, share the show with your friends, family, coworkers, or anyone else you think needs a healthy dose of introspection and raw authenticity. Feel free to rate and review wherever you get your podcasts. It's always appreciated. And you can also visit whothefck.com to check out more content. Plus, you can follow me on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube at whothefck underscore pod to keep up to date with what's new in my world and for exclusive bonus content. Catch you on the flip side. Electric Acid. Welcome to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing, where we harmonize your mind, body, and soul. I'm Amanda, your sound therapy expert. And I'm Stephen, the curious explorer uncovering the mysteries of sound. Together we explore vibrations, frequencies, and the power of sound therapy and tuning forks. Discover ancient wisdom, reduce stress, and tune into a healthier life. Subscribe to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing today. Hi, I'm Lessa Cadet, host of her Extraordinary Life by Design podcast, where we celebrate women who are shaping their lives one extraordinary day at a time. I speak with women from all over the world about what they do and how they are passionately pursuing their dreams and creating meaningful impacts on their communities. So come join us and learn about all there is to learn about these extraordinary women.